community building starts not necessarily with paid marketing or a channel. It just starts with trading customers, right? I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi everyone. And welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super excited for my next guest. Yay! Gloria Huang, who is the founder and CEO of the hottest not just e-bike. I mean, it's if you're just bike around, you haven't sort of figured out how to do the e-bike thing yet, I'm sure this helmet would be just fine for you. But it's an incredible company and product called Thousand Helmets. And she is here today, has an amazing backstory that I just love so much. But we are here to really talk about her own journey and her journey as the founder and CEO of Thousand, which, as I said, is a company that sells sustainable, aesthetic, and functional cycling helmets, and so comfortable and so cool. And uh, actually, my daughter was about to snag it from me earlier, and I'm like, uh-uh, not not so fast. So don't be going anywhere with that thing. So uh, that's a true story. Um, but more than anything, as I said. The, the story of how she went from another company, which you may be familiar with, Tom's, and some of the stuff that she was doing there too, um, has always been really interested in the social impact side and then decided to bring it into the helmet world is just a, is, is a crazy but great story. So I'm really excited to have you here, Gloria. I'm going to stop talking and just start asking you all these questions that will get you to tell the story versus me. So welcome. Yeah, thanks so much. Nicest intro. My gosh. (laughs) Excited to talk to you today. Yeah, super fun. So tell me a little bit about Gloria. So where did you get started? Yeah, I I grew up, uh, my background is I grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh, We grew up in a town called Clear Lake, and it's basically like a a town created for NASA employees. So my dad was like a robotics engineer for NASA for a long time. Um, went to school at UT Austin. Now I'm out in LA. Uh, cause again, my background is I, I moved for work. I, I worked at Tom's previously before starting 2000. Very cool. And did you, so was your first, where was your first job? Yeah. So maybe this is the starting of where I became an entrepreneur. My first job was actually probably Tom's. So um, the shoe company Tom's back then, it was a one-for-one model. Growing up, I knew I wanted to do something related to like helping people, uh, creating some good in the world. I had no idea what that really meant. So right out of college, I did a year of AmeriCorps. And what AmeriCorps really was, was a year of national service with a nonprofit. And my goal was to try to see if I wanted to work with a nonprofit uh, long-term, because that seemed like down my career path. I did that for a year. It wasn't totally for me. So I took the year to do an internship with a company called Tom's at the time. They were like a 15 person company out in a warehouse in Santa Monica. I I saw a cool YouTube video and I I said, yeah, let me apply to that. Got in and I fell in love with just the concept of social enterprise. 
for me, just blending the business model of doing good, but also aligning that with a revenue model. So it's more sustainable made a lot of sense to me. So that that's probably where my career started um, and where my roots are for, from a social impact perspective. Many people who listen, we, we have a lot of people who are entrepreneurs or um, curious about entrepreneurs, but also a lot of students. And what I always share with students and, and hopefully new graduates as well, that it's uh, it really is just about finding what you enjoy doing and what you're sort of drawn to. I mean, here you were just living your life, hanging out on YouTube, and you heard about Tom's, right? And then you're like, oh, maybe there's something there. You didn't sort of know if there would be or not, but you just went and tried. And I think that that's the story of of how you end up, you just go, right? You jump into something. Would you agree? Yeah, I think I think you define it really well. I think people think social entrepreneurship is creating a product or it's uh, learning having business skills or an MBA. But I, I would say for me, entrepreneurship is really like you're a person that wants to solve a problem. Uh, and that problem can be mm-hmm anything for some people. So, so I would say that's probably the journey of social entrepreneurship. Where do you think you can create value and where is there a gap in terms of the value that's being provided for people? And if you can, if you can make something, then that's entrepreneurship. What do you think was the most surprising thing in sort of jumping into this company? You said you had, there were 15 people there when you got there. Yeah, it's gosh, honestly, it's some of the funnest times of my life. Again, I, you know, I grew up in a world where entrepreneurship startups really weren't a thing yet. Uh, it was, it was, it was a fringy thing to do. Like this culture of kind of like founder first and again, a startup Silicon Valley thing wasn't a thing back when I started in the workforce. So for me, when I went to Tom's, I expected it to be like a normal run business, uh, in terms of what I had seen. But back then Tom's was just like in a warehouse with no central AC in Santa Monica like 15 people, 20 people, no HR representative yet, <laughs> all a bunch of young kids in their 20s like me at the time. But Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. They all believed in this idea of if you can sell something and do something good at the same time, then you can create a lot of value. It's a new way of doing business. So uh, we all just like worked our tails off (laughs) to try to make that vision come to life. But it was a lot of work, but it was an incredible amount of fun with an incredibly cool group of people. It was an incredibly cool experience in the sense that um, I grew with Tom's till they were like 500 people. So it's also you you learn a lot about business and <laughs> things to do, but things not to do uh, at a company scaling so quickly. So And different sizes of businesses and what's needed and and in terms of scaling. So you probably, and I'm sure as you were in it, you weren't you know, you would have challenging days and try and figure out how the business has changed. I was at America Online when it was about 100 people. And, uh, you know, then it was thousands of people that were there. And we were adding a 1000 people per week. I mean, it was insane, uh, like the growth that we had gone through. And I tell people I didn't know it until I left that I had been through a hockey stick. And, um, you know, which is a fast growth. Oh yeah. And then watching it level off, actually coming off of that ride, it was like being on, I don't know, multiple roller coasters. And then all of a sudden somebody telling you to walk straight, 
it was just like, wait, what, what happened to me? Because this adrenaline rush, right? Yeah. And again, you, once you experience it, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's exhausting, but it's also really rewarding to know that you contributed to something like that. So I'm sure that's, that's what you, uh, you hold um, with you about that, that experience. So you left, um, it's about 500 people. And where did the idea of thousand come from? You know, I was still working at Tom's when I had my idea for thousand, basically a, if I'm honest, a mentor of mine at Tom's uh, got into a bad bike accident. He had hired me when I was an intern, it was a head first accident and he wasn't wearing a helmet and passed away on, on impact. I was a longtime bike rider. Um, and I never wore a bike helmet up until that point. And immediately when I heard that story, I was just like, man, I just need to go get a bike helmet just to be responsible myself and the people around me. But when I went out to find something I liked, I found things I thought were kind of passable or would work, but I didn't, I wasn't excited. I didn't really like any of them. Honestly, I just stopped biking so much. Like I wasn't a hardcore bike rider. It's not like I went 50 miles on a weekend. It, for me, I just went to the coffee shop. I just went to the beach. And again, with my background in social impact, my thought was, you know, if you make a helmet, people actually want to wear, I really felt like it would help save a lot of lives. Uh, and beyond that, I thought you could help urban mobility within cities. The reason why people don't like to bike, skateboard, scooter, get out of their cars is because they don't feel safe. Uh, so for, from my perspective, like this kind of helmet concept could have done a lot of good in this world. So I worked on it nights and weekends ahead during my time at Tom's, launched it on a Kickstarter was trying to raise about 20K from this initial Kickstarter and ended up raising close to a quarter million. So very quickly into that Kickstarter process, I realized my next step was as an entrepreneur and I should be spending my, my time on that. So I, I quit my job sometime during, during the Kickstarter process. Thomas was incredibly supportive of me and still is. But yeah, that, that launched my journey with Thousand and entrepreneurship with, in general. So Kickstarter campaign, for those listening like, how did you have the idea to go on Kickstarter and actually raise money? And how is that different than actually going out and getting angel investors, as an example? Yeah. Well, for one, the the, the thing is, I was broke in the sense that uh, I started thousand with the money in my bank account. And, you know, as a 27 year old, that's I had 20 grand. It was like miraculous to me that he even saved that much. So I. I took the ton. I knew I couldn't do much with 20 grand because molds, molds, um, kind of getting inventory produced, I knew would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I said, can I take my 20, build a prototype, put up a video and just give people a sense of what I wanted to do. And maybe this larger community has an interest in it. So, so that was really the idea around it. Back then, I really didn't know much about investors or venture capital, seed capital, any of that stuff. Again, for me, it was I was I was a 27 year old. Startups were also a relatively new and young concept, so I, I kind of got funded the way I knew how, which is um, asking all my friends and family to pitch in 20 bucks if they had it, and, and it became a little bit bigger than that. And so, part of the Kickstarter campaign, once you actually had it produced, then they would get the helmet. They right that is that the way that the Kickstarter. I've seen some of those. Is that describing it correctly? My my story was I I didn't have anything produced. I I basically came up with a 3D prototype. Um, so I'd worked with an industrial designer to design the initial prototype, and worked with a factory and said, "Hey, I, I don't want to open up tooling yet. I want to see 
how this Kickstarter goes. So I, again, put up pictures and a video of this prototype I had made, and there was kind of an explosion of demand of people wanting this. So very quickly for the next nine months, I, I worked with a factory to get this into production and getting product out to people. But it was a super challenging process. I, I ended up living in China for like three months wow. just, just to get it done with our factories. But again, that's that's like the entrepreneurship journey. If creating new products that created value for people was easy, it probably there'd be a lot more iterations in our industry. But that, yeah, that was my Kickstarter journey. And you knew before you were potentially going to go raise money that you had to have a prototype and you just didn't have the money. So it's one way to actually go do it, find those people that are able to do it. Do you have to repay the money? Is that the way that the Kickstarter, for those people who aren't familiar with it, that are thinking about it and hearing about it for the first time, how would that affect someone's business? That's a great question. Kickstarter technically, from what I understand, is it's a fundraising platform. So it's not, um, you're not paying money. If you're backing a Kickstarter, you have the understanding that the product may never ship. You're mm-hmm. backing as part of this Kickstarter community is to follow along this founder or entrepreneur on their journey of trying to make something. So whether it turns out great, whether they learn they can't get into production or whether it becomes the best-selling product ever, you're just along for the journey. And that's what your fundraising amount is for. Uh, for all of our backers, we delivered all of our product and we gave a bunch of extras and treats too, because we were late, but we also just really appreciated them for funding us really to get to that point. And you enlisted a couple of people that you knew to partner with you on developing it. So somebody, an ex-colleague and actually uh, your father. Yeah. Again. So when you, uh, don't have the money in your bank account. It's I call it friend lancing, and maybe in that case, family lancing, uh, where you just pull the people around you to help. So one concept on our helmet we have is something called our pop lock. And that's a hole in our helmet, if you see it there, Kara, where you can throw a bike lock or a U-lock through your helmet so you can lock up your helmet to your bike. And if you lock up your helmet to your bike and it's ever stolen for any reason, we just replace the helmet for free. So that concept, again, didn't exist in the helmet world. And I didn't necessarily have the manufacturing chops to get it done, or not the manufacturing chops, just the technical know-how. My dad, again, was a robotics engineer for NASA. So I I asked him to help me kind of come up with the technically how we could get it done from a manufacturing perspective. So it'd be really repeatable, um, but really durable. It's very, very cool. So then how is it going? I mean, you get it out there into the market. How? When did you actually officially get it into the market? We, so we launched that Kickstarter back in 2015, but we got into market by 2016. Um, and from then, it's been just a rocket ship. We very organically have grown double or triple every single year. These days, we've got about you know 20 employees, a 25,000 square foot self-run warehouse in the Arts District in LA. I would say we're like a comfortably hitting like a very high revenue target year after year and continue to do so. Like there's no kind of slowdown in terms of growth. And for us, I think it's also because we we're really different in our industry. Like at the end of the day, we're trying to be something for people. We, we call it tools for urban travelers, people who are biking, skateboarding, scootering around a city. We're, we're trying to make tools for them. So we're also just trying to service a new group of customers that have emerged in, in a new trend in urban mobility. I love it. And as you and I talked about earlier about our mutual friend, uh, Chris, who introduced us, Chris Lockheed, you know, he's got 
so many different e-bikes and he's got different helmets for different things that he's riding and skateboards and everything else. So do you see that as a trend for a lot of people that they want multiple helmets for different things that they're actually using? Yeah. Um, good question. And I love Chris. He, I think the trend we're seeing is that mobility is changed, is changing in the U S in, in the sense that the majority of trips that happen are under three miles in the U S. So I think it's over, I think it's over 60% of the trips that happen in the U S are under three miles. And that, that number includes cars. So if that's the said, why are we driving everywhere? It makes sense why people are taking bikes more, scooters more, skateboards more. E-mobility is becoming a trend in terms of this is a new way to get around um, from a transportation perspective. And I, and I think where helmets comes in is there's a there's a huge need to be safe. Uh, just because that trend is continuing on, and my belief should be, doesn't mean the infrastructure is there to support safe riding. So from my perspective, getting tools to keep people safe um, is becoming increasingly important as this trend continues. What mix in terms of direct-to-consumer versus just retail outlets are people finding your helmet? We've got about, this year we'll do about 70% direct-to-consumer, 30% wholesale. Uh, and, and we like that balance where a digitally native brand with a wholesale arm. Um, but some of the biggest places customers can find our product is we're in REI all doors. So if you go there uh, and we've got a couple of big partnerships coming up this year, but I would say the, the best way or the most direct way for us to get our products would be our site and that's explore1000.com. And how does social fall into kind of your brand building? How important is it? I would say social is a channel, but maybe the broader question is how important is community in, in our brand building? And I'd say providing content to people that are relevant, um, content that's relevant to people. So to talk about sustainability and what we're doing for Earth Day and tips people can kind of have for better, safer riding um, to get out of their cars is something we're really interested in providing people. Next month is Bike to Work Day. So providing tips for people on how to bike to their workplace safely, how to dust off the tires, pop up their bikes, all that stuff is really important to people. So I would say social is important in the sense that we always want to provide value to our community by providing them content that's relevant to them. So content really lives at the center of all we do. And then we have all of our marketing channels that surround it. And, and we just approach everything a little bit differently. And how have you built the community? I mean, what? how did you go out? Did you end up giving out helmets initially to different influencers or people that you knew that you know would start wearing them? Or how did you, like, what was your first step? Do you remember? Yeah, if I'm honest, a lot of it is word of mouth in the sense that I, my background wasn't marketing to start with. But what I did know is what I liked as a customer. And I liked it when companies treated me really well. So for us, that meant building a product that had um, more value than what the price you were paying was. We even actually feel like you're getting value, even though you're paying like $89 for something or $135 for something. So for me, it starts there. Like word of mouth is where everything started for us. And that's really where our community started from and where it built from. Because even when customers started to interact with us, they probably started to realize we were a different type of company. We're not like trying to, again, like sometimes customer experience or customer service is like, how do I not let people extract more money out of me? And we have the opposite approach. How do we try to bring people joy in an interaction point? So 
because of that, people just started to like us uh, and people started to follow us on social and people started to sign up for our emails. So now when we announce big things or we announce cultural things that are happening with our company, you know, people are, people will write us and be like, oh, I'm so excited you're turning six this year. Uh, I've been following along with you since like you were one. I have this for, I bought this for my kids and I have this for myself. I'm really excited about X, Y, and Z. So for me, that's where community building starts, not necessarily with paid marketing or a channel. It just starts with trading customers, right? I love it. So great. Uh, and what's what's the longest bike ride you've been on? Oh, well, Kara, again, I'm a <laughs> recreationalist rider, so uh, I, I wouldn't say I do a lot of miles. Um, but probably the longest ride I've been on was about 50 miles, and I, I barely made it <laughs> in, in the sense that my, my bike's not super set up for it. But again, I, I love like a long beach ride. So I've, I've biked down to like um, Newport Beach and have biked back to LA before. So that was a fun one. So great. And so where do people find Thousand and also you, if uh, people have want to follow more about what you're doing? I would say find Thousand at our website, which is explorethousand.com. You'll see our latest products, sign up for our email list. Again, beyond just product updates, we, we send what's happening with the company. And the question of me, I would say I'm a little less of a founder first business, but I, I like doing these interviews because I like talking to people about what we're trying to build. So follow me if you want, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> I do post things I'm thinking of sometimes or, or our blog on our website. Well, you're a great example, Gloria, of somebody who just went out and tried and did it. And I uh, recently wrote a book called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And it really is about my own entrepreneurial journey of getting, uh, just going out and trying. I had fears. Um, I I wasn't sure if it was going to work or not, but I was going to give it a try. And and uh, you're another example of somebody who just went out and and lived undaunted. So you should be very proud of what you've built so far, for sure. And and uh, I'm excited for everybody to hear your story. And uh, just really excited that everybody joined us here today. Uh, we are here at the Kara Golden Show every Monday and Wednesday with incredible entrepreneurial stories focusing on founders and CEOs and what their journey was and how they did it. And hopefully it will inspire you to go out and start your own thing. Uh, know that you can do it. And it, it may seem hard and challenging at times, but you have to figure out a way to get over the wall, knock down the wall, whatever it is, and find that thing that you really feel like needs change and uh, that and that you be the change that ultimately goes and does it. So thank you so much, Gloria, for joining us. I, I loved this conversation. And uh, oh, and also everybody give five stars to Gloria as well and subscribe to the newsletter. And thanks so much. Have a great week. Thanks, Kara. Appreciate you. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. 
for a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thank you.